Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Forza Italian Football Podcast. As ever, I'm your host, Connor Clancy. I've got Vito Dorio with me. Vito, hello. How are you? Hi, Connor. I'm all right. Um, yeah, just been an intriguing weekend all around in regards to the football, but even uh, on social media, there's been uh, a lot <laughs> of uh, good and bad going on, shall we say. I've had a lovely weekend on social media. We're also joined by someone who doesn't use it all that much, Kev Fugzelski. Kev, how has your weekend of social media consumption been? Yeah, I think I only turned it on actually this afternoon. So yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, you, so you, you missed out all the drama of, of my late Saturday yeah. afternoon. I saw the, uh, the aftermath. <laughs> <laughs> had a lovely time. Um, shout out to LCFC fanboy if you're listening, which you're definitely not. But anyway, um, it, it's quite a strange weekend of Serie A because there were a couple of big games, a couple of big results this weekend. But due to there being a midweek round spread over three days, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday evening, we don't really have a lot of time to play with in that. By the time we talk about games individually, it's going to be out of date and there'll be a new round coming coming at us. So for the listeners, I already said this to you guys, obviously, but just we're going to take things a little bit differently. We'll talk about some of the main stories from this weekend and then just talk about more general things, um, not match-specific things. So if you do happen to be listening on Wednesday evening, Thursday evening, whenever it is, hopefully it will still stand the test of time, although we'll probably talk more rubbish than sense, so I wouldn't worry too much about it. Anyway, I'll just go through the weekend's results so people don't miss a beat there. Obviously, Torino Sassuolo on Friday evening was called off due to a positive case of COVID in the Torino camp. A little bit concerning, but probably for the best that that was postponed. 
Um, Parma blew another two-goal lead on Saturday to get the action going. They went away to Spezia, were incredible in the first half, drew 2-2. Bologna beat Lazio 2-0, which sparked my Twitter beef. Verona and Juve drew 1-1 in what was, I almost want to say, a shock result, but it's not really for Verona anymore. They're just that good. On Sunday, Atalanta kicked things off in the FIF derby by beating Sampa away 2-0. Cagliari won for the first time in about three years in a relegation six-pointer. Leonardo Semplici got his first win there on his debut. They beat Crotone 2-0. Inter pumped Genoa 3-0. Savito's weekend wasn't all that bad. Udinese Fiorentina finished 1-0 to the Zebrete. Um, Napoli won the derby of Campania 2-0 against Benevento. And the weekend's action was rounded out with Milan beating Roma 2-1. No surprise that Milan got a penalty in that one, but the less said about that, the better, probably. We will start by talking about Milan, though, Vito. And they got their first win in five games. Obviously, they had lost in Serie A to both Inter and Spezia in the last month since February 7th when they last won against Crotone. And then they drew twice against Red Star to go through in the Europa League. But this win for Stefano Pioli was so, so important for the Rossoneri. Absolutely. Considering the bad run of form that they've had in recent weeks, Milan needed a real confidence booster. And based on the way they played, they certainly deserved the victory in my eyes. In the earlier minutes of the game in particular, they were really going for it, but they weren't able to capitalise on their chances. Uh, they went. They had a couple goals disallowed too, but uh, from what I from well, I watched the whole game. I did the match report after all, but uh, based on what I saw, uh, Milan looks like uh, they deserved the win, and uh, they played with the kind of composure that they should be showing on a more regular basis. Yeah, it was quite an important one. And Kev, I think what struck me most from this was that purely took what. I'm tempted to call an unpopular decision, but based on people's comments on Alessio Romagnoli recently, it probably wasn't an unpopular decision. He dropped him. Ficario Tomori started in his place, and Tomori played quite well. Romagnoli's decline has been concerning from not only a Milan perspective, but arguably an Italian perspective as well, ahead of the Euros. I know you hate international football, so I won't push you too much from that side of things. But Romagnoli, has he just kind of almost been figured out in a way that Milan have improved and he no no longer looks that good anymore? Was he just a bit of a a player who was playing for a terrible team and that made him look a little bit better? Maybe um, maybe a little bit. It, it, his recent troubles, from a visual sort of perspective, have always looked like an aging centre-back. You know, when he can't, they kind of lose that half a yard or, you know... They, uh, and, well, maybe on the flip side as well, that they their, their concentration levels at the other stage of a player's career isn't great. He either takes too long to react or players were apparently kind of just breezing past him when I was sort of watching him in some games um, recently. Uh, and it's just it's just strange that, that, that from somebody so young, if you like, uh, where you kind of only expect them to still be on an upward trajectory with their... Uh, their career that he seems to have sort of stagnated a little if not gone uh, gone backwards um, what do you think about Roma then Kev I'll come to you for this one because I don't really understand how they're still floating around the top four because 
they've lost six times this season. Okay, five, I suppose, because of that whole Verona debacle. But their losses this season have come uh, 3-0 in the courts to, to Verona. They lost against Napoli 4-0. Atalanta 4-1. Lazio 3-0. Juve 2-0. And now Milan 2-1. They just don't do it when they're up against a big team. And tonight was as close to a capitulation defensively as you're likely to see this season, as was the game against Atalanta, arguably, as well. They weren't great in defence tonight, but they, they had enough chances towards the end. And I, I don't think they were terrible tonight against Milan. I think the one goal um, gap between the two sides was, was probably accurate enough. Um, you would have probably only given Milan one more goal and said that was a fair result, but... I've said it before that if they're picking up points, you know, lots of points against the teams in the uh, lower half of the league and you've got the likes of Juve underperforming above them, uh, they're two points off of Atalanta. I'm trying to think now if anybody's got the game in hand, apart from Juve, Atalanta don't, do they? The Juve and, and Napoli play each other and that's it. Yeah, you know, and Atalanta have, have one of their better seasons, yet Roma are a couple of points off them. So you can't get too... As much as the supporters would like those big wins, albeit more when they're in the stadium against the the Juve's, the Milan clubs, you've got to look at the the big picture. And if you're managing to turn over two thirds of the division, collect those points, and it get, it secures you a Champions League spot, well, you know you just got to try and block out that noise that you're running these teams close. Admittedly, they've had a couple of heavy defeats, um, but it, you know. Marathon, not a sprint, the old cliche goes. There you go. Um, Vito Atalanta, big win over Sam. I'm kind of sorry to come to you for this, but it's just the way it's fallen. They beat Sam 2-0. <laughs> Sam were actually quite good, particularly in the first half, though, in this one. And Atalanta are now into the top four, given their complications in the first half of the season. And look, I'm not going to say the that tweet again. I'm not going to talk about it, but... They're having arguably their greatest ever season. It was certainly in the first half of the season. They're back in the top four and they're coming into what has been under Gasparini their strongest period of season in in the back half. You'd expect them to have enough about them now to hold on and establish themselves in, in the top four. I do think that it's very likely and um, a few reasons for that is uh, they are... Uh, still able to produce the results that they have done in the last few years. And also, uh, barring a uh, miraculous comeback in the Champions League against Real Madrid, um, you'd think that Ladea should be in a good enough position to just um, have enough focus on Serie A and be able to produce uh, good results for the rest of the season. It, you know, assuming that uh, Real Madrid does progress to the next round of the Champions League, you'd think that the only other game that they really have to think of outside of Serie A is the Coppa Italia final against mm. Juve, but that's a few months away. So I expect uh, Atalanta to reach in the Champions League spots by the end of the season. You're already condemning them against Real Madrid by the sounds of it, Vito. Not necessarily, Kev, just on paper. You'd think that's the case, but I don't want to go too much into that tie. But my personal opinion on that is I don't think it's done and dusted. I think Los Marengues are not the same team they were when they won those three consecutive titles under Zidane and then when they won it 
under Ancelotti in 2014 before that spell. Uh, I think they need to re- rebuild Real Madrid. And although Atalanta do have the defensive frailties, just you never know when they're just going to turn it on and have a spell where they just score a bunch of goals at once. And Ilicic too, he's the kind of guy that disappears in certain games, but then there are certain occasions where he just turns it on. And uh, you never know. If he does turn on at the Bernabeu, I think uh, Europe, they'll be salivating. be a joy to watch. Kev, you did the match report for us on the first leg. We won't dwell on it for too long. But am I the only one that is, I'm not going to say confident, but I kind of am pretty confident that they'll go through. I mean, a 1-0 win sends at the extra time. Any other win, they're through. I really fancy it. Yeah, that, that first game was terrible, but I don't think it bears any real sort of whatever on the you know on the, I, I'm predicting to keep it short a, a sort of a score draw and aggregate, and I just think not having to worry about conceding any more away goals mm. that we could see two one Atalanta yeah. three two Atalanta because they just they'll, they'll just go for the goals. But uh, yeah. and Casemiro's obviously out as well because he they. Madrid, they had the audacity to appeal his yellow card, despite the fact that he should have been off. That was unbelievable, um, remarkable. But as long as the referees aren't playing any more games in the second leg, I honestly, I would fancy Atalanta to get themselves through. Vito, I know while you're thinking about this, I'm not going to ask you your opinion on refereeing of Italian sides in UEFA competitions because it's probably a podcast on its own. Down at the bottom of the table, there was a huge game this weekend, and it was an early enough relegation six-pointer. Obviously, Eusebio Di Francesco was sacked by Cagliari recently, despite them only renewing his contract three weeks earlier when they probably should have sacked him. They didn't. Anyway, Leonardo Semplici has come in, having been adored by me and a lot of the FIF listeners over when he was at SPAL. He came in, magic touch, set them up in a 3-5-2. They won 2-1, their first win in, I think, 15 games or something. Something crazy, anyway, in, in Serie A. I might be getting them confused with Parma with the 15, but it's been a long time that they've waited for a win. And Vito, they won the six-pointer away from home, and you'd kind of fancy them now in this amplitude to put a bit of a run together. Yeah, I certainly do. Uh, I've rated Semplici since he brought Spal from Serie C all the way to Serie A, achieved those survivals. And I think uh, he's got that ability to make the place fit into his 3-5-2 formation. It was crucial that they beat a team like Crotone, who is languishing at the bottom of the table. And uh, I think with the players they have on paper, they should be doing much better. Better. So I'm hoping Semplici can get the best results for them. And I think uh, this would be another stepping stone in his career because I think he should be the type of coach that should be coaching regularly in Serie A. Kev, fancy Cagliari? Uh, no, I, oh. I still think, um, I said last week, because like, they hadn't won those uh, one in 16, and you know, that's half, not half. That's uh, more than half of the league that they sort of failed to win against. <laughs> I think it. I think they they should have, without beating uh, well, losing to Torino the week before, probably meant that this wasn't as big a result as it could have been had they got some points there. Um, 
But it, it, in a way, it it sets up midweek when they've got Lazio because Lazio dropped points again um, and they face Torino. So um, probably puts a little bit more on that for to uh, Cagliari to. I've gone on to the wrong team. I really have gone off my head. <laughs> I don't know if you're talking about it verbally or on your computer. No, no. I've um, started thinking about Torino playing Lazio for some reason. Um, but anyway. Well, they're supposed to be playing. Torino is supposed to be playing Lazio, but we're trying to talk about Cagliari, Cal- I think. Yeah. <laughs> it's because I started started thinking about Cagliari failing to beat Torino last week, which, mm. which I get, which I, make, I think means that this wasn't as big as a result as it could have been if they'd managed to draw that last right. weekend. Um, so, yeah, I, I still don't see them getting out of it. Um, they're down. Oh, there you have it. Kev has cast a spell on Cagliari. And if they're down, that also must mean that Parma and Grittone are both down. So relegation's wrapped up for you. Yeah, I don't see it changing. I, I, I really don't. Um, what if Parma go 2-0 up next weekend? Will you not change your mind then? Surely they wouldn't <laughs> throw it. <laughs> like, because they will throw it away. Unbelievable. Like, can we take a moment? What? Like, seriously? Twice oh, in a row? Yeah. I needed a moment a second ago. I forgot, <laughs> forgot which team I was talking about. Um, uh, yeah, it was... It was, it was... It's just... Wow, it's not bizarre because... You, no, you it, it was. Do it. Because they're doing it in different ways every week. Last week it was just like defensive incompetence. This week, Diversa decided to press self-destruct because they're 2-0 up and Diversa does what we've said he cannot do so many times, which is he abandoned his 4-3-3. And for 35 minutes, he was playing without a striker, trying to hold on against Spezia. He's not playing Juve. Right? He didn't need to do that. Palmer were excellent in the first half and they had Spezia there. But anyway, 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 we've got some other things to talk about, guys. We've got some other things to talk about and most of them, well, not most of them, but at least two of them are focused on a certain Zlatan Ibrahimovic. What a surprise. But He's been making headlines again off the pitch this week. And in the coming week, he'll be making headlines for his show-stopping performances at San Remo Festival, no doubt, which is one of the things we need to talk about, I guess. But so Ibrahimovic basically is having a very, very different week to every Milan player and every Serie A player over the next week. Bearing in mind, we're in the second half of the season there are three games for each club over the space of the week with each weekend and the midweek round sandwiched in between. Ibra is performing as, as I don't know what, but he's performing at San Remo Festival, which goes on every single night this week. He is obviously not performing on Wednesday night because he's going to be playing in his, his football match that he should be playing in. But He's going to travel more than 1,200 kilometers to train alone in San Remo with a coach and a physiotherapist from Milan with him. He's going to train at Milanello on Monday, then go to San Remo, train there alone on Tuesday. Um, he's going to, I think he's training at San Remo again on Wednesday before driving back to Milan for Milan's game against, I believe it's Udinese. 
Then he's going to drive back to San Remo on Thursday, do his performances and training there. And then on Saturday, he's going to fly, or is it Sunday? It's Sunday morning, he's going to fly to Verona from Genova, I assume, because I, I can't imagine San Remo as an airport, so however small. And he's going to play against Verona. But he's performing four nights this week. He's playing two matches. And all of his talk in midweek was that, oh, don't worry, I'll score eight goals. He limped off this evening for Milan in their win at Roma. Kev, what's Zlatan doing? Should he be doing this? Isn't it all a little bit weird that Pioli and Milan are willing to give him a personalized training schedule to perform at a festival, which apparently played a big part in his renewal talks as well, by the way, that he was going to be allowed to do this. Kev, what do you think? It's ridiculous. Even before you factor in that we are living in, hopefully let's call it uh, post-pandemic times now. So even in a normal season, um, it would be strange to be to be taking this kind of time away if you're challenging for a title. Then factor in the, the just just outside of his normal working week, how many different people, regardless of how many times they've been tested or whatever else, he's going to be coming into contact with, and then bringing that back into another, you know, into the group of players if he comes and plays on uh, Wednesday night. Um, not sure whether the the limping off. The, uh, this evening, uh, you know, they were they were not winning at the time. I'm pretty think I'm pretty correct in saying that, but wouldn't it surprise me if we get something uh, of a, a Neymar scenario where he conveniently would get suspended <laughs> or suspended or uh, or injured before going back for Carnival uh, in Rio. Um, but yeah, it, it just seems absolutely ridiculous, and um, we'll get on to the other piece of news later. But certainly, um, he should be probably focusing on being a footballer rather than a performing seal or whatever he's going to go and do. I mean, that's what he's good at, right? He's he's a footballer because he's the best at playing football, so he should just stick to football, right? That's mm. um, that's what some people would have you believe. Anyway, Vito, I'm going to throw it to you before we get to the other thing. Adam Digby, very much a friend of, of ours, uh, on Twitter put out a tweet that I, I had a nice kick a lot tonight, and I, I think you might have as well. I'm just going to read it to you and throw it over to you to discuss however you please. Um, so he tweeted after the game tonight that Zlatan set so much of an example at Milan that Rebic scored a great goal and then wanted to sit on the bench with an ice pack. Tonight he'll go on social media, call himself a tiger, and attack Colin Kaepernick for being socially active. Well, it seems like he's uh, really trying to wind up Milan Twitter with that tweet. Uh, That I can definitely say. Uh, Another thing, too, with that tweet, what I take from that is I think it just uh, shows that uh, Zlatan, he does have that ego. He loves to talk himself up. And uh, in this case, if we go back to the Roma-Milan game, um, it's kind of like his way of saying that Zlatan will try and make it about him. Although Zlatan was not able to score, but uh, he was still on the pitch, so he will try to make it out that it was his presence uh, that um, made Milan win the game. As for the last bit of the tweet, I, I suppose it's just, yeah, another way of saying that uh, Ibra had a go at LeBron James and then 
now he's gone off on another way to criticize another uh, African-American athlete because they're trying to speak up about issues outside of sports. Right. Zlatan, he's never been one to bite his tongue, right? I think we need to put that up front. And I've found him very, very funny over the years and I've got a lot of entertainment and I've always quite liked Zlatan for, for what he does. But this season, he just seems to be trying a bit too hard. And maybe it's because we've got all of this extra audio from on the football pitch that we're noticing these things a little bit more. But this year, Milan played Cagliari and he just started having a go at Diego Godin for, I don't know what, um, Milan won 2-0. The next time Zlatan was on the pitch, he started having a go at Duvan Zapata. I mean, Duvan's quite a nice guy, right? He he had a little bit of a, oh, you, what, the 12 penalties aren't enough, you want another one type thing. And then Zlatan went off on one with the eh, phenomenal, eh? And then we know what he said. But Milan lost that 3-0. Next game, he picked a fight with Romelu Lukaku. Milan lost 2-1. And since then, they've beaten Bologna, Crotone and... Roma, and they've lost against Spezia, Inter again, and drawn twice with Red Star. Kev, is Latan trying too hard? Well, I think we've always known he can be a bit of an ass, whether you find it amusing or not. Um, when you, we we were we were debating this. Uh, me, me and Stace, the wife, were debating this because you know what what happened with. Uh, his comments that LeBron James um, responded to uh, made national news in the UK. You know, it was it was one of the the top stories on Saturday morning. I think it was on BBC on the BBC News website in the UK. Um, you know, and he's thirty nine years old. He's, he's you know he's arguably obviously at the pinnacle. You know, still continuing the pinnacle of his career. He's done everything that could be done. He's won everything. So his his voice is extremely powerful. Um, and he's telling uh, other athletes that they maybe should stick to whatever sport it is they're playing and not take on social issues, is ignoring the point that the popularity that somebody at that sort of stage of their career has not only reaches a far wider sort of group of people, but also it's almost it's not really detrimental to him anymore. These things that he sort of shouts at, as, as distasteful as they were, the ruck with Lukaku and Zapata, they're not really going to damage his brand anymore because mm. he's approaching the end of his, his career. As we were kind of saying in my house, that you can understand why if someone's asked these questions and they're 21, 22, at this, uh, their sponsor or whatever, their media people are probably saying, stay away from this. You know, you've got a long career ahead of you. There's no point becoming... Uh, somebody else spout, spoken, and you know we've we've cited Colin Kaepernick already, and look how you know look what that did for his career. Mm. But in in my view, he's just taking it, it it too far because he is he's not really acknowledging how much of a difference he can make, or people in his sort of area, I suppose people on his level, um, the difference they can make by just bringing these social issues to light for other generations of people that maybe don't absorb enough of what's going on in the world and need to be made aware of it. I think, and, and, and yeah, so final point, just, you know, he was um, not particularly well thought of when he was breaking through um, 
in Sweden because of his the background or mm. you know of his well parents. this is the thing right and this is the thing we should say just before we get on if you've not heard what Ibrahimovic said about LeBron he was doing an interview and he was asked about LeBron James who is obviously a arguably I don't watch enough NBA throughout the history or anything to have a say on this but there is an argument to be made that LeBron James is the greatest basketball player of all time and not only is he phenomenal on the court but away from it he's very politically and socially involved in that he has schools he's he's an absolute phenomenon what he does for underprivileged kids and he often speaks out against racial inequality and everything but Ibrahimovic said, he's phenomenal at what he does, but I don't like it when people with status are also in politics. I mean, do what you're good at. Stick with what you do. I play football because I'm the best at football. It's a mistake when people, it's a mistake people make when they become famous. Ibrahimovic was recently, well, I'm not sure how recent it was, complaining about the treatment he receives in Sweden because of his, his ancestry. His, his surname is not a very typically Swedish surname. And... Even in him speaking about LeBron James, is he not contradicting what he's telling LeBron James to do? There's a bit of a danger of him saying, Fito, you're nodding, so I'll come to you. But there's a bit of a danger in this whole thing, like shut up and fall back in line, right? Because if people just do that, nothing ever happens. Like nothing will ever change. Yeah, it's very hypocritical on uh, Ibrahimovic's part. And regardless of what situation is, I think everybody should be caught out on their hypocrisy. Um, Zlatan says that about LeBron James, about, you know, focusing on sport, but uh, between the Sanremo situation that's coming up and then him making his uh, comment uh, about uh, Sweden picking players that don't have Swedish surnames or for not picking them enough, yeah, he's absolutely contradicting himself. Uh, Sweden have had this recent uh, issue, especially with the current coach, uh, Jana Andersson, and uh, there was criticism that he was not picking Dejan Kulusevski because mm. he was of uh, North Macedonian origins. He didn't have a typically Swedish surname. So, you know, this hypocrisy needs to be called out. So um, with uh, Zlatan, it's either got to be one or the other. Um, you know, let LeBron do his social thing as well. And if uh, Zlatan wants to go on Sanremo and have more criticism of the Swedish FA, then he should just uh, focus on that. Otherwise, um, if uh, LeBron doing what he's doing affects Zlatan so much, then Zlatan should not have said anything about uh, about the Swedish FA ignoring uh, players of uh, immigrant families. Kev, any final thoughts? No, no, I think we should probably just leave it there. All right, so the overriding message is Zlatan, leave San Remo, you're a footballer, do what you're good at. Yeah. Um, all right. Okay. So we got a message on Twitter this time. We've been getting a, a few emails recently. We've got a message on Twitter from Thomas Holmes Reed, who wrote in and says he's listening to the pod and he's actually started commentating on some Serie A games this season. He tends to watch the the lower sides and by that he means the, the sides who aren't the top six from what I can make out. But he says that he's seen some real Italian talent this season, but fears that with a view of the, the European Championship, if it happens, he fears that a lot of the players who don't play for the top six, seven sides will will miss out because of, I suppose, like an inherent bias to, to choose players playing from top teams. Firstly, 
Kev, do you think that that is an issue that teams playing for the likes of Torino Sassuolo, um, like Empoli in the past, maybe will miss out just because of who they play for? And then secondly, I'll, I'll get you guys to give me some players who aren't playing for the bigger clubs who you think are deserving of a of a call up. I think it depends where you are in the cycle, um, because sometimes if you know when you're approaching. Uh, a European Championships or a World Cup. Some of those players that were already performing at at what we're sort of classing as lesser sides have then been either purchased or were sometimes the um, the owners of these players out on loan anyway. So then they're already appearing for these sides that are sort of between the sort of top and sixth, seventh places in the league. Um, I actually find, uh, we spoke about how little I watch international football until the tournaments come around um, because I find them far too predictable which clubs generally make it to the to the final uh, championships. Um, I, I, when I looked at the it- Italian squad um, ahead of this question, I, I found it quite refreshing actually that you've got little pockets of players from other clubs mm. rather than one side dominating, which kind of was the case when I started <laughs> well, when I grew up, <laughs> how long started, ago was that? When I started watching, but you know, you, you, you remember the eighties and a lot of the a lot of the sides that were a lot of the sides that were doing well in European competition were generally sort of seventy eighty percent of the national sides. But then mm. that's why you had strong sides like Stade Bucharest and, and and all the others. Um, but I think in previous years we've had an almost entire Juventus backline. So actually, the variety amongst even just those top seven eight clubs in Syria at the moment, I think is is quite refreshing because it means that one side hasn't dominated and gone and purchased most of the Italian talent. I think we saw recently with, it must have been the last international break, which was when November, early November time, maybe. Um, I remember there was a little Sassuolo pocket because Caputo was out through injury, but there was a, a moment where, a moment, that is not English. There was a brief spell when Berardi and Locatelli were on the pitch together and they actually combined really nicely for a goal and you could see that it was just this understanding that they had built up from playing so often with each other at Sassuolo and even before that break if there was one in October I can't remember anymore but Berardi and Caputo linked up really well. Kev? Did they play that game um, at the Mape though? No the one I'm talking about I believe was away I can't remember oh, against whom, but I think it was away. Bosnia are in my head for some reason, but I don't think that's correct. I just Italy have played Bosnia in the last two years, so I, I only asked that because there was a period when because um, Spain play their games yeah. around, and then they they go and play at Villarreal, and then suddenly you see Italy, Italy do it too. Italy do it too. Villarreal players pop up in the squad, so yeah, you know, that's, that's the only reason I asked because I had it I had it in my mind that they played. Somewhere close to where Sassuolo were based. But, uh, they, um, I think they used the training facilities in Sassuolo. The Sassuolo's training facilities, I think, were used by the Italian team. And I believe they might have played at the Dallara, possibly. Uh, Vito has just pointed out the, the game was against Estonia, right? Thank you, Vito. Um, and Bosnia! Bosnia! That's right. I wasn't completely wrong. But, yeah, so I, I like the idea of having the little pockets of... of club teammates together you've kind of got it at Bologna as well Soriano's there Sansone is there Orsolini is there and they could very much be knocking on the door of the of the Italian team as well so the next part of this question 
was kind of if you guys had any, I suppose outside picks who you would take to the European Championship if if Roberto Mancini called you up and said, "Hello, FIF Potters, give us a hand, please." So Vito, have you got a couple of names that that you think would be deserving of an outside chance in with the Azzurri this summer? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f- are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Well, I can definitely think of two left backs because that particular position is surprisingly a weakness. Italy used to be so rich in depth in that position, so it's mind-boggling that there aren't any outstanding candidates for that role. My picks are Tommaso Algello from Sampdoria and Simone Bastoni from Spezia. Um, I do claim bias, obviously, with Algello, <laughs> but I've been very impressed with the way he's been able to make that step in Serie A. And Sampdoria haven't had a decent left-back since Reto Ziegler, the Swiss international, about 10 years ago. So Algelo's possessed this composure on the ball that Ziegler's successes have not had. Um, he is very confident attacking. He has speed. He can put in some good crosses. And a few times he's even got into scoring positions. So even if he can chip in with a few goals, uh, that would be lovely. Simone Bastoni is one of the other revelations of the season, and more specifically of the Spezia side. That team has a lot of unsung heroes. And uh, again, it's just his way of uh, fitting into a system, smart positional play, and and he just knows how to make the right runs as well. So he's someone who can put in good crosses and uh, score a few goals. And for the third one, this one was probably a bit of a tough one because there are a few options here and there that just keep lying around. But I'm still going to think that uh, Vincenzo Griffo from Freiburg might be an outside chance. I don't know know why, but uh, Mancini does see something in him. And whenever I've seen Freiburg play, he's actually quite a good player. He knows how to score from free kicks. And uh, 
whenever Freiburg play well, he's usually someone who makes a difference. I'd love to see him in Serie A, though, because I think he could do something in Serie A. And someone of uh, Italian heritage like him, I'm sure he, he should uh, try and make a move to the homeland uh, sometime soon. And I think that would increase his chances of more international football. I'm willing to give you full support on your claims to get Simona Bastoni into the national team. And I'll I'll give you 70% support with Argello as well, because... Italy do have a problem at left back. So yeah, I'm I'm on board, Vito. You you've won me over. Definitely. <laughs> Kev, what about you? You've I can't I really can't speak English today. Um I think you know what I meant. What about you? Have you got any suggestions? Uh yeah, a quick one would be Orsolini. Um I don't I can't really pin down why. He's just clearly very talented and I think Vito loves him. Well, yeah, I, I just find there's a little bit of inconsistency there. And if you're going to take Bernadeschi, or if you're going to put Bernadeschi in the squad, I'd probably take Orsolini because I'm kind of spent with Bernadeschi and as whether he's actually going to sort of make anything of his undoubted talent. Um, Vito looks like he wants agreed. to jump in there. No, I agree. I think with Bernadeschi, he'll be 27 this year. So you wonder when's he actually going to really come good. And I think he looks out of place at Juve. Did you see the video of him? Orsolini. Orsolini's the kind of guy, he can do something out of nothing. I just, yeah, if he was more consistent, I think he'd have a better chance of being in the national team because he is a delight when he scores his outrageous goals. Did you guys see what happened to Ricardo Orsolini at the Bentegodi the other night? No. Well, <laughs> guys, Kev, this is what you miss out when I've been on Twitter. So the ball was in the, what's it called? The little bit in the corner where they take the corner from? Oh, the quadrant. The quadrant. Um, so the ball was in the quadrant. And Bernadeschi was running to keep it in play. And he planted his foot down beside the ball and the corner flag. And I don't know what happened. But he fell over like the corner flag had tackled him, despite the corner flag not actually touching him. It was amazing. There was nobody near him, and he went flying. So if you've, if you've not seen it, listeners, go and find it, because it's phenomenal. It's, it's a beautiful bit of work. So yeah, Bernardeschi should be nowhere near the Italian team. He's been training with Chiesa too long. <laughs> All right, the less I say about that, the better, because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Kev, so Orsolini. Yeah, then um, then Silvestri in, in goal at Verona. Good shout. Uh, because I just think you've got you've got the the two inexperienced goalkeepers that seem to be going behind Donnarumma and Sirogu would be Merritt and Cranio. And I just think that if if you had Silvestri in there and Donnarumma was to pull up injured, um, I'd I'd have more confidence throwing him in in mm. front of Sirogu actually, even without the. Uh, one of the caps or experience, however you want to judge uh, experience to just for him to step in. And that's where sometimes you do see somebody have like a brilliant tournament because they've come a, kind of had to be thrust into the limelight at the last minute. I actually think that Donnarumma aside, Silvestri is the best goalkeeper in Serie A. And I don't think anyone really comes close to him. I think Alex Merritt will probably get to a, a higher level. Cranio is someone who pulls off remarkable saves, but I don't, I just don't fully think he's there. I think he's playing at the right level. You know, he, he is a goalkeeper for someone like Cagliari. He's not, he shouldn't be playing with with a better club. Um, okay, so Silvestri or Solini? 
Yeah, I think the final one we'd all agree with is just that I'm not entirely convinced Mancini trusts Caputo or maybe is looking for more long-term um, with the Italian national side and going for younger men. Um, <laughs> you're making signs at me. Uh, Connor's happy. <laughs> um, the, the one thing when we were asked this question that surprised me a little is how how there are no current playing uh, current players, current playing. I'm not doing it now. Uh, current players in the top ten all-time scorers for Italy. Um, I mean, your top scorer is still Luigi uh, Riva. Whereas you look at the um, the all-time appearance holders, and there's so many who've been, you know, recently playing or still playing in both. They're all case. Juve defenders. And, yeah, but it's, but but, no, but the, the Rossi's in there with appearances, mm. but. When you look at international football, there has been the breakup of the old USSR, and there's so many more games now that you play that you get appearances. But within within all time scorers and appearance lists across lots of uh, countries across Europe, you see more recent players right up at the top, and it just it point yeah, it highlights that although Italy have had lots of wonderful strikers, they haven't really had one that scored consistently mm. or be picked consistently um, to kind of rise up those ranks of top of top scoring players for the country. Mm. Well, well, there's several factors for that. If we look at uh, the current crop of strikers, I mean, you look at uh, Immobile and Bellotti, they haven't really become prolific. Unfortunately, the likes of Giuseppe Rossi and Mario Balotelli weren't able to live up to their full potential or numerous reasons and uh, I think it's also a reflection you know as stereotypical as it sounds I think it's also a reflection of uh, Italy's uh, footballing style the fact that Riva is still on top with 35 goals um, shows that Italy you know in the major tournaments yeah they can put in great performances but in the qualifiers they just trot along basically or jog along and do enough to obtain the results so that's why they aren't any guys who've scored over 35 when you think that the talent alone is there. Even someone like Baggio Del Piero only got 27. And some of the other guys who've got 30-plus, they played in the 1930s, guys like Silvio Piola and uh, Giuseppe Meazza. So, yeah, hopefully with this change in style, we'll find a few more goal scorers. But I think it also comes down to youth development if we Italy can produce another, you know, Paolo Rossi, Meazza, Piola, Riva, all those great strikers. Yeah, I think it is quite positive that they've never depended on one, you know, particular front man to score a majority of their goals, if you like. And you think about the players you reeled off. You've got Baggio, who was obviously 90, the World Cups of 1994. But then, you know, that, that's a, quite a short period before then Del Piero came on the scene. There was no real dependency on Del Piero because then Totti came, sort of came along almost at the same time. Um, so again, it's, it, I, I suppose it's the depth of quality that actually means that probably is a better thing than actually having to depend on someone that has uh, leapt to second or third all-time top scorer. I've got, if you'll allow me, three uncapped players who I'd like to throw in to the conversation as real outsiders and for for different reasons as well. If we're talking about left-back being a problematic position, I'd like to nominate Giuseppe Pezzella from Parma because bad as Parma are, 
their worst football has come when Petzal has not been there. And two of their best games came after he returned. I mean, he grabbed an assist for Cornelius within three minutes of his return the other week. I don't think he should be starting, but if you're short of options at left back, I think he's someone who could do a job, particularly because he does have that weapon in attack. He's got a really good cross on him. Another is Andrea Consigli, purely because I don't think he should be allowed to go through his entire career without getting a cap for Italy. The, the longevity he's shown in Serie A has been incredible. He's been a really good servant in Serie A. He's doing a good job with Sassuolo now as well. And Mancini likes to play football, right? He's not a coach who just wants his goalkeeper to, to save shots and boot it. And Consigli plays under Roberto De Zerbi at Sassuolo and is always knocking the ball around with his centre-back. So I think he'd be well up for a shout. And then the third is... He's newly Italian. It's big Raphael Toloi. Because why not? I mean, Chiellini's probably going to end up getting a call up and he's not going to be fit. Bonucci's dreadful. Get another centre-back in there. And Toloi is comfortable playing in a lot of different roles in a back four or three. He could do it. And he gives you an option if you need your defenders to carry things out from the back as well. So get big Rafa in. Kev, you're smirking. I was well. I was just thinking. I was thinking to myself, and thinking, "Oh no, I think I think I probably know the answer." But has Romero been capped by Argentina? Yet? <laughs> no, he hasn't. I looked for it, but no, I don't think he's been in Italy for long enough, or else oh, his. I was going to say, can't naturalise him. His Italian heritage hasn't been in the the press anyway, so it, I'm sure it'll come. If Argentina don't cap him next time, by the way, they are moronic because he is what a defender he is. Anyway. I hope that answers your question, Thomas. On to the next. It's kind of on a similar vein, really, because Thomas's question made me think about players who are lesser sung heroes, you know, the unsung heroes of Serie A. And I was tweeting about someone last week in Adama Sumaro. And I know, Vito, maybe you don't like him very much because he had a few months at Genoa, but he's, I think he's a great defender, like a really good defender. And I was there... In one of my last normal games, and normal meaning before I was unable to go as far as Bologna from Parma and fans were in the stadium, I went to see Genoa play Bologna and I was expecting Bologna to trounce them because Genoa had been dreadful. And it was in January or February 2020. And Maziello and this guy, Sumauro, who I'd never heard of before, were playing for Genoa. And... Genoa parked the bus and then some and won 3-0. Sumaro scored, Maziello assisted him, and it was just an absolutely brilliant performance from the two of them. So since then, I've kind of kept half an eye on Sumaro and been really impressed. Now, funnily enough, he's at Bologna and he's doing a very, very good job. So I like Sumaro and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on this, but I mean, it's, it's criminal that he's going to get relegated this year. But Yuri Kuska, phenomenal. Too good for Palma. They don't deserve him. Uh, Vito, have you got any unsung heroes in Serie A? I think you might actually have a, a current and old-fashioned one as well. Yeah, I do. Um, for the current one, I'll go again with Spezia. Uh, Nahuel Estevez, mm. an Argentine midfielder, plays for Spezia. And uh, I've been incredibly impressed with him. I'm surprised that he's already around 25, but... He's fitted into Vincenzo Italiano's system. Um, 
very good on his feet, uh, puts in good passes, can cross the ball, incredible energy, but such an intelligent ball user too. So I think he's another guy that will probably leave Spezia and go into bigger and better things as well. I think you could pick anyone from that Spezia team. That's a really good shape. It's a really good shape. Yeah. Yeah, fair call. As for an all-time scale, now I'm someone that loves to watch some of the old teams, study the history of the game and all that. And one player I don't think gets enough of a shout on an all-time scale is the former Serbian midfielder, Vladimir Jugovic. Um, He was part of that Red Star Belgrade team that won the 1991 European Cup. Um, in the Toyota Cup final, Intercontinental Cup final, he scored two goals in that final and he was a defensive midfielder or box-to-box midfielder. Came to uh, Sump, had three seasons there, scored some important goals. Won the Champions League for Juventus in 1996 by scoring the winning penalty in that shootout against Ajax. And in other teams like Lazio and Inter, he scored in big games and he's made big contributions. Whenever I've watched old games of him play, He's a very dynamic midfielder, gets into those positions and uh, perhaps because of the breakup of the former Yugoslavia and also with Serbia and Montenegro not doing all that well at France 98, I perhaps think he gets forgotten. And then considering that that era in the 90s when you have that whole Yugoslavia with Serbia, Croatia, Montenegro and all that, they had guys like Dejan Savicevic, Robert Pozanecki, Zvonimir Boban, Dragan Stojkovic. They... They did incredible things on the ball and perhaps someone like Jugovic was a bit more simplistic. And uh, the former Yugoslavia have had other greats in the past and there have been some gems in current times too, like Modric, Milinkovic, Savic, Mandzukic, Dzeko, Pjanic, several others. Mm. And they've even unsung hero there. But someone like Jugovic, I think he's pretty much forgotten by fans these days. And I think he deserves more love. There you go. It's a bit of a hotbed of football, that part of mm. Europe. And you're, it's, not, it's nice in Serie A because you do tend to see quite a lot of people from that part of the world play and <laughs> quite a talented bunch. Kev, have you got an unsung hero or two? Uh, yeah, just the one. Um, I should say, great shout for Vito and Jugovic. Um, lovely footballer. I did a I did a Jugovic at 50 piece, which was lovely to reminisce over, which must still be on our site somewhere if people want to go and look for it. Um, mine would be Antonin Barak, who's mm, you were only asking about him last week. Yeah, I asked about him last week because he created the first goal for um, for Verona from from almost nothing. Um, played a wonderful sort of sliding through ball to Illich, I think it was that scored, and he caught my eye at Lecce last year. And sometimes because he had that sort of big sort of blonde turn into sort of gingery hair. You wonder whether it's just kind of the look of him that sort of catches your eye all the time. But he seems to have a, a great touch, knows when to drive forward with the ball, knows often the right pass to make. And he, and he gets the odd goal as well, which I think is crucial. And before, well, we, I don't think we got to talk about it last week, but I was asking you guys the question offline of whether he could go to a club that is, um, let's say, consistently qualifying for Europe because he's, yeah, Verona are doing well, and he's a huge part of that. But um, I just wonder if he could could just take another little step of up because I don't think he's quite regular Champions League level. You know what's going to happen? That Verona team is going to get picked apart at the end of the season again because it's what happened last season. And I think I think Barak's top of the list of a few clubs this year probably because he's been very good. 
Very good. Okay. Done with that? Yes? Yeah. Right, final question. This is something that came to me on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. Some Someone, oh, please forgive me. I've forgotten who it is. It is a listener. I think it was Adam Setters, but don't quote me on that. So Adam, if it wasn't you, there you go. And <laughs> whoever it was, I'm sorry if I have forgotten your name, but he is of the opinion that Serie A is basically nowhere near the level that it's been for, for the past decade. I personally think that Serie A, particularly the top half clubs and the, the clubs who are playing in Europe are better than they've been for most of a decade with Juve and Napoli aside. I think every other one of the top sides is is better than they've been for most of the last decade. But he popped up again in my, in my notifications this week, obviously, because Lazio got pumped, Atalanta lost. It was before Atalanta had lost, actually. Lazio got pumped, Juve lost to Porto. Napoli got knocked out of the Europa League to Granada, who, if you don't watch La Liga, Granada are a good team this year. It's not like they're just, <laughs> they're, they're competition winners. You know, they're in the Europa League on merit. They're a good side. And they've frustrated some of La Liga's bigger teams this year as well. And also, who else played in Europe? Roma were Roma through, but Roma, Roma, they'll mess it up eventually. And Milan drew twice with Red Star. I think that kind of does a bit of a disservice to Red Star, though, that they, they drew it there. But the question, after all of that, is, Kev, is, is Serie A bad? <laughs> Yes, this is the problem with when people want to use almost independent results of Italian sides or, you know, any other country they're trying to sort of um, judge in in Europe because we have fans of uh, the French League suggesting that PSG's run to the final uh, indicates that they're, you know, that league is stronger than, than Italian sometimes. Whereas that is just a super club, um, mm. you have, you know, you've had you've had Syria where Juve have dominated domestically and even got to a couple of Champions League finals. But I don't think that necessarily is what you would judge on how good Italian football is in comparison to the other major leagues in Europe. And then it depends on what you want because. I prefer what we kind of got this season, which is a clutch of sides that are more even, uh, equally matched, if you like. So you've got more of a total race. And if I, I hate to think of leagues as brands because, you know, I don't really watch Premier League football, yet I follow one of the sides in that in that league. And I go, sort of, well, when, when I can, um, not, you know, pandemic allowing. But I don't really follow a league. I, I want to watch something that is competitive all over. But I don't think that then really that, that then really just means that that side is stronger or weaker than another. So yeah, it's a, it's almost like a trolling question that somebody puts out on uh, Twitter or on social media because they know it'll get a lot of clicks and it'll get a lot of people irate and coming on to the likes of you, Connor, and uh, shouting obscenities. Do you know what, though? But the the first time he tweeted it, I thought he was trolling me. So I think I did respond in quite a dismissive way, which then I felt bad about because he seemed like he actually wanted to discuss it. But I don't know. Vito, what are your thoughts on this? I don't think, in general, Serie A is bad. But needless to say, 
when you've uh, grown up or heard about what Serie A was in the 1980s and 1990s, of course it doesn't look anywhere as good. As for the league itself, it does look a lot better in general than what it has been in the last um, decade or so. I think in the last five years there's been some improvements in general with the quality of the teams. Even some of the football on show has been better to watch. And I think in this situation, I think we're we're thinking too much about the latest rounds of football. I've noticed these kind of comments or even you know, articles being put up on websites when uh, we see Italian teams do battle at once. And I think it's uh, best to assess these things by the end of each season instead of hitting panic mode when a whole bunch of teams lose at once. So um, we'll just got to wait and see what happens in the next legs. Uh, I do think Lazio have no hope against Bayern Munich, but in the other ties, I still think there's some chance. So I'm not going to just write off the Italian team just yet. As for Europe being that main scale, I must admit, I, I use that as the main judgment of the strength of the league. But in saying that, it doesn't mean that in terms of entertainment-wise, it doesn't mean that I'll stop watching that league because of the strength or lack of uh, in Europe. I like certain leagues because of how they appeal to me. So I follow Serie A the most. It also helps that I also have Italian heritage, but I do enjoy watching it. And other than that, I enjoy watching Bundesliga the most. So mm. um, you know, sometimes these things are personal taste, good times or bad. If you really enjoy a league, the certain style or certain players, uh, they'll keep you hooked uh, one way or another. This um, this this question often stems from what I was saying earlier that in the well, let's say sixties and seventies, when the European Cup became more popular, you know what is now the Champions League for younger listeners, and 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 the games became more accessible for for people viewing across Europe. The, you know, there was a free foreigner minimum. Uh, there was only one team competing from each league. Maximum. Uh, you, uh, yeah, maximum. And, and, and okay, you were a little bit dependent on the draw because I remember Champions League was largely born out of Real Madrid uh, drawing the, the Diego Maradona or the Napoli of Diego Maradona in the 90s uh, in the first or second round of the European Cup. But it was... It was very much country versus country, and it was it was almost why some of the glosses take been taken off of the World Cups and things because we see all you know Champions League now is almost elite level football of all the the best players around, um, but people still want to have this argument over which league is the strongest, and you're really you used to sort of give up your your strongest competitor to go into that competition and face other countries. Um, somebody did once suggest or maybe it's been suggested a few times, there's always something that sparks a, a lot of discussion, is whether you could have a, a non-European Championships or World Cup year and have a 23-man squad of the best players from a particular league and mm. get them coached by somebody. It's I think it's really hard to get over sponsors, insurers, whoever, you know, you want to do it. But that's almost what you need again to answer this question because all we're doing is just trying to answer a question that was probably answered in previous years when you only had a maximum of one team from uh, each league into the European Cup. At the risk of sitting on the fence as well, I don't think this season is a season to judge anything by. I mean, look look around Europe. 
Juve aren't going to win the the Scudetto. At least it doesn't look like it. PSG's title is in doubt. Barcelona and Real Madrid might not win La Liga. The Premier League champions have had, I mean, unpredictably bad fortune thrown upon them. And it just seems like this is a year where normal just doesn't really count. It's it's just a bit of a fluke season. So I think a, a better barometer of this could be when, when things are back to normal and see how the Italian teams fare in Europe then. But even at that, a lot of it comes down to the draw. A lot of it comes down to the draw. Inter are just an Antonio Conte team in Europe in that they finished bottom of their Champions League group somehow. But other than that, everyone got through. And I think that, if anything, speaks to a strength in Serie A that everybody got through their groups. And now, I mean, all right, look, Juve should probably beat Porto, but Porto are doing okay. Atalanta got drawn against Real Madrid. So I think it's it's tough to, to write the league off based on a couple of games. I think also um, this year and the last couple of years, the the importance thrown onto the Europa League um, with the Champions League spot that the winners now get has, shown, has seen a lot of clubs from um, Italy, Spain, France taking that competition a little bit more seriously than they did. You always have one or two, but um, sometimes they just they just they just didn't really bother, and I think that also doesn't help a, a sort of a league overall when a couple of clubs are just doing well in the Champions League. Everybody else qualifying for the lesser uh, competition isn't really putting the effort in, makes it look weaker. I think you're right. It was basically Sevilla and some other clubs from around Europe who were going for that. But it is. I like the Europa League after the group stages. I think the group stages and the round of 32, actually, I think having a round of 32 is mad. It just means you should probably make the competitions smaller. But anyway. Right. Well, that's more or less the end. We have come to the game. and Right. So the player I've chosen this week, guys, chosen... For a reason. Initially, because I became aware of him. And then I thought, oh, maybe that person's good for the game. And then when I saw a bit more information about this player, he chose himself. So after we've identified the mystery player's identity, ask me why I chose him and I'll tell you. There's a a surprising fact and just quite a nice fact that ties in with, with this week, shall we say. So... Vito, I'm guessing you won last week. Yeah, I think. Oh, no, it was you actually. Timed out. Uh, yeah, timed out. Yeah. Right. So, Vito, if you don't mind, I'll let Kev go first and get his, his guess out okay, of the way because sure. we know what he's going to do. Right. You've got two minutes okay. on the clock starting now. Do they play in blue? Oh, oh my God. You have thrown me with that question, Kev. You can't do that. Because I'm trying to think what this team's home kit are this season. Yes, they play in blue. They play in blue. Do they play south of Rome? No, they don't play south of Rome. Okay, is this player foreigner? The player is not foreign, no. Okay. okay. V- no, Kev, it's your go. It's your go. Yeah, you'll go, Kev, sorry. Um, do they play in Lombardia no they don't play in Lombardia do they play well is there a Sampdoria player 
It's not a Sampdoria player. They play north of Rome and they play in blue. That's what we know so far. Okay. <laughs> uh, oh, God. Oh, God. You've a minute left. That's half uh, of the um, game. Um, yeah, now I'm thinking. Kev, oh, okay. you give out about they Vito Stolen. They play for Verona. They do play for Verona. Congratulations. We're making progress. Are they a defender? They are not a defender. Is it Anthony Barak? It is not Anthony Barak. Vito, it is a it is not a foreign player. So it is an Italian Verona player who is not a defender. Kev. Um, 30 seconds. Are they a regular starter? Clearly not. Uh... <laughs> I'm going to say no, but it's unfair. So Vito, over to you. Is it Stefano Sturaro? <laughs> it is Stefano Sturaro. Because when did he start playing for Verona? He went there in January. Um, oh, see, I saw him on the bench. I thought he was still at Juve. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. He's been at Genoa for two years, Kev. Oh, is he? Oh, I looked at him and I thought... <laughs> I looked at him and I just assumed he was... Oh, I remember seeing him come up on the screen as well and everything. Yeah, because he played. He played against Juve and I heard his name and I was only half watching and I thought, has he gone back to Juve? And I looked up oh, and he was in Verona shirt. Well, I saw it. I, saw, I only saw the highlights of this. So I must have seen him and just assumed he was walking onto the pitch to go onto the subs bench <laughs> or something. How very odd. Strange, isn't it? Strange. Anyway, the the fun the fun information about Stefano Storaro is <laughs> guess where he was born. Oh wow, this is a good. Oh, I don't know, La Spezia. Very very close. He was born in San Remo, which I mean, I had to choose ah. him when I saw that. And secondly, Zlatan. What age would you say he is? Twenty eight. Right, I think you've been very generous to Storaro there because he's 27 and that shocked me. Uh, well, yeah, but he goes into that um, group of he goes players around. that kind of just float, you know, get bought very young. Get they, they, come into your, they come into your sort of sphere of knowledge because you've always picked them up or something very young. <laughs> and they just knock around for ages. Hmm. He was at Juve for five years. And right, he was out on loan for a lot of that. Um, Four and a half. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but there you go. Guys, that's the, the podcast for for this week, at least for, for the first half of this week. Hopefully it stood stands the test on whatever, and you can listen to it whenever. I guess if you're listening to this point, you'll know. And if you're not listening to this point, there's no point in me saying it because you're not listening, are you? But... Kev and I will be back in the week. Vito, unfortunately, won't be with us. But Kev and I will be back for a quick pod on Thursday evening to just run through what happened in midweek. I'll probably be annoyed because Atalanta will have lost to Inter, but it will mean Inter will definitely win the Scudetto. So Inter fans will be happy, I guess. I'll be trying to get my words out better. I think I need to do that as well, to be honest. Uh, so we'll we'll both try and speak coherently, yeah? Yeah, wow. Ooh. You say that, I'm giving blood first and oh. planning to have a couple, a couple of beers while I watch football, so mm. I could be slow. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, there you go. Um, 
Vito, say goodbye. I'll speak to you again next weekend. Goodbye. Mr. P, say goodbye. Goodbye for now, Connor. I'll see you Thursday. What are you doing? Uh, I could do chow chow, but I haven't got anything else prepared. Love it, Zenya. There we go. See you later, guys. Goodbye. I'm disappointed. Sarà 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.